Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Well, each week the ecumenical lectionary presents an Old Testament passage, a psalm, a gospel reading, and an epistle for preaching each week. And sometimes I'll pair two texts if a motif is obvious to me, and other times I just pick one of them to preach on that, that, that it seems to speak to me in the moment. And I almost gave up this last time on using a lectionary text, and I was reading them, and none of them were speaking to me. And anyway, I did as I often do. I call out to God and I say, you've got to help me here. I don't know what to preach on. And God hasn't failed me yet when I ask for preaching help. So I was at the gym, and I'm struggling with my routine of moving all that metal. And not uncoincidentally, I believe the issue of struggle and wrestling kept coming up for me. So I seized upon that Genesis passage about Jacob wrestling with a man, a man whom the Christian church traditionally understands as an angel of the Lord, God, or some even say the pre-incarnate Christ. Anyway, as I'm pedaling away at resistance level six on the stationary cycle at the gym and I have beads of sweat running down my face, I started by by thinking about wrestling with God throughout my life. And some of the spiritually dry passages came up, mostly from when I was younger. Uh, I think I told most of you about losing my father when I was young, and I lost my mother when she was too young as well. And I struggled with how God didn't heal either of them or even relieve their pain through their battles with digestive tract cancers. And I immersed myself for a time in the prosperity gospel, which preaches health and wealth, and mostly because my faith was immature. And I was naively looking for a way to work God so that all would be well in life. And my prayers for others and myself were rarely answered. And so in my late 20s, I had almost given up on church and even contemplated ditching Christianity for something more new agey. But God didn't give up on me, I learned. I guess I found the struggle too intriguing. And I believe with God's providence, I landed in seminary in midlife like nearly all of my classmates. And we seemed we were all there to work out some problem of suffering. Nearly all of us were there because of our broken places. And as I listened to their stories, some I learned had gone through divorce, struggled with their sexuality, struggled with illnesses and addictions, their own and their loved ones. Some had lost children, had been broken by their secular careers, you name it. And my best friend in, in seminary had battled cancer and often wondered aloud what God had even kept her going for. 
And to date, it delights me to report 18 years later now that she, a while back, became the chaplain, the head chaplain of the large Florida hospital system, and she just earned her doctor in ministry this past May. And yes, God had a purpose for her. For her and my other seminary classmates, it, it was interesting to note that it was the struggle the push and pull of wrestling that actually got us all engaged with God. Oh yes, we could have simply wandered away from God and, and never looked back, but most of us had eventually made a choice not to, and we felt that God was there quietly wooing us. We wanted to see this thing, this thing through and, and see if we could go on to offer something good out of our struggle to others. Another preacher once put it, the strange truth is God can't use you unless you're broken. Yes, it's often true that hurt people often hurt other people, but it's equally true that graced people grace other people and healed people heal other people. And maybe that's why you all are still here in the pews or are turned on, uh, tuned in online. You've been wounded too, but God is there wooing you, enticing you to stay engaged. Even in your woundedness, you want more, and you want to know God better because you too have grasped some of God's love and power, and want to make a difference in this world. And kudos to you, hang in there. When dialoguing about our Genesis passage about Jacob wrestling with God today with Jewish and Christian theologians, our own United Church of Christ theologian, the great Walter Brueggemann once said, the wound in the Christian tradition has been transposed into the cross. And what you're talking about is a church that is increasingly embarrassed about the cross or postures itself as though you can have the gospel without the cross, as though you can have the blessing without the wound. As though indeed. My friends, there is no blessing without a struggle and without a wound. And that is my message to you today in a nutshell. Stay with God, because blessing will arise out of your own woundedness, just as resurrection surely came after the cross. So let's take a deep dive into our passage today to illuminate this take-home message further. With some context, I'll start by doing a quick recap of the old Sunday school story of Jacob for you, a story that brings us to this wrestling match that surely was told over and over again around the Bedouin campfires of long ago. The word wrestle is used only one time in the Bible, and it's in our very story today. And the name Jacob according to many scholars, but not all, means cheater, manipulator, little liar, clever conniver, cunning, and slippery. Remember, Jacob was the grandson of Abraham and the younger son of Isaac. 
Even from the day of Jacob's birth, he was a trickster and a heel grabber, always working to outsmart and outmaneuver his older twin with the hairy arms, Esau. Even exiting the womb, Jacob was said to be grabbing onto the heel of his older brother. Later, Jacob swindled Esau out of his right and uh, his rightful inheritance for a bowl of soup. I know some people say porridge or lentil stew, but for a bowl of food. And after that, Jacob jockeyed for economic advantage with his equally devious father-in-law, Laban. In our small passage today, Jacob is returning home, preparing to face his estranged brother Esau, whom he has defrauded. And it's under these circumstances that Jacob meets God along the banks of the Jabbok, meaning um, the stream east of Jordan. And interesting that the name Jabbok means both a pouring out or a wrestling, perhaps even echoing a key motif of the story for us. So as you can see, Jacob is not without baggage. He had all this deceitful history. And yet, God does not give up on Jacob. For it was through his progeny, the people of Israel, that the Messiah would one day come. And the new name that God gives Jacob is Israel. Ten of Jacob's sons will be, become founders of Israel's tribes. And interestingly, even the name Israel means God contends or wrestles, or wrestles with God. In later years, it came to mean a man seeing God, or even by some accounts, let God rule your life. Yeah, our relationship with God may indeed involve times of struggle too. It seems to be built into the narrative and perhaps into the very fabric of our reality. And I wonder what that says to you and me. My faith journey has been marked by some struggle. How about yours? Some of it's worked out and some of it isn't yet. Some of us have done things in life we're not proud of, we carry baggage. Some of us continue to do things that make us feel like God doesn't want us or couldn't possibly use us the way we are. Some of us are disappointed by the twists and turns of life or maybe the preloading of our genetics. We could simply disengage. We could empty out these pews further. We could go away broken, hurt, mad, or we could choose not to, trusting God to strengthen our souls uh, for God's work in this world despite all of our flaws and all of our baggage like God has done for others before us, like Jacob. And even though Jacob had a sketchy past, God still had great plans for him. The funny thing is that God has always gotten tremendous things done through flawed human beings. I have seen God use the most cocky, self-assured people to start great ministries. Likewise, I have seen God use nervous, anxious, mealy-mouthed types to do the same. 
Some examples from our own Bible include Moses and Isaiah and Peter and Paul. Moses fretted with God over his speech impediment. Isaiah didn't feel worthy of the prophetic call stating that he was a man of unclean lips. Peter was impulsive or rocky, if you will, and Paul had formerly persecuted Christians. And God worked with these folks. And God has some work to do with Jacob that night on the banks of the Jabbok. God does not come to Jacob as the sweet, forgiving presence. Instead, this mysterious man, as our text calls him, comes as an adversary, appearing out of nowhere to wrestle with Jacob. Okay, to be fair, maybe this was all a dream sparked by Jacob's nerves. No one's really sure. Opinions are all over the place. Ask two rabbis, get three opinions, or something like that, as the old joke suggests. Whether real or a dream, the story means the same thing for us today. Jacob was very afraid about meeting his brother the next day. So that night, inside of himself, he started twisting and turning in bed. You know how that goes when something's worrying you. You try to get to sleep on the left side, and that fails, and you try the right side. You twist, and you toss and turn, and, and soon Jacob found himself wrestling. Was it an angel, a man? Was it God? Was it his conscience? And whatever it was, I think on some level it was God, the struggle goes on all night. Jacob is not the quitting type. God let Jacob pin down one of its hands and, and then the other hand, and Jacob had him pinned down, and he said, I want a blessing from you. And God asked him, what is your name? He said, my name is Jacob. And then God said, I will bless you. And the blessing he receives is a new name, Israel, the one who contends with God. And the struggle leaves him lame, permanently limping, a bit broken. But as a prevailing survivor, even after a face-to-face -face encounter with God, one Rabbi Klitzner says, the struggle of Jacob is so intensely human. He needs his identity to evolve the same way I need my identity to evolve over time and through struggle. Your identities, who you are, emerge from your struggles. Some of your struggles might be with God, maybe over unanswered prayer, maybe because things didn't go in life as you had hoped or expected. Maybe you too walk with a spiritual limp, but this doesn't mean that God has left you. Quite the contrary. Struggle, remember, is even embedded in the name Israel. Struggle means you are engaged with God. Oh, perhaps you've had those mountaintop experiences in your faith which have energized you well as you were enveloped in Christ's presence. But often after those mountaintops, we can find ourselves back in the valleys or in the cave with Elijah, waiting for God to pass by or whisper in that still small voice, only to hear nothing but our own doubts, 
and insecurities causing us to twist and turn and ache and burn through the long night. And yet, God is there, wanting to engage, wanting to give us a future and a hope, a soul-strengthening path, and ultimately to fit us for heaven. I want to wrap this, I wanted to wrap this up with a, a great um, illustrative story. So I combed the internet for modern day examples of someone growing as a result of their life struggles and I found nothing that really spoke to me so I gave up and sermon unfinished, I went back to the gym and as I'm pedaling away, I happened to see the back of a woman's t-shirt with this quote, don't trip over something in your past. And I thought, there it is. There's my answer. There's my conclusion. Thank you, God. Answers do come at the gym for me, all sweaty from the struggle, blood flowing to the brain. See, our, our past makes us who we are. Our struggles and our hard times and our embarrassments and our shortcomings in the past are not meant to trip us up for all of time. God means for us to learn and grow from the obstacle, whatever it is, and then move on. You are not abandoned in your struggle ever, so don't walk away discouraged or mad. And I'll tell you one last thing. Jesus, in all his humanity, in solidarity with us, even struggled with God. Well, we could talk about the Garden of Gethsemane, but remember the cross, how he cried out and he quoted Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Being forsaken is, is what it felt like for him, but it was far from reality. The psalmist continues, why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. So one of your challenges this week is to go home and, and read the rest of Psalm 22, because the psalmist comes to this conclusion. For God has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. And then you know what? The rest of the psalm all turns to praise. Again, my new friends, stay with God, stay engaged, because blessing will arise out of your own struggles and woundedness, just as surely as res resurrection will come after the cross. May it be so for you today and always. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.